and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard, I will be your host for this evening or this morning or this afternoon or whenever you happen to listen because after all it is your podcast. Now later last year, which was only a month ago, um, we had a gentleman by the name of John D. Clare on to talk um, about his uh, about his Kickstarter game Downfall. And that has gone and passed, and now he has back again because if <laughs> because I don't know why he's coming back on. I must have said something nice at least once or twice, but um, he's now back on to talk about a couple of projects that he's going to have coming up in the next couple of months. So, hello, John. Hey, thanks Thank for having for me back on. on again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Oh, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Um. <clears throat> So downfall funded, which was good. Um, but one of what one of the things that you mentioned at the time when you were um, when we were talking was your next project, which was going to be um, which was going to be Edge of Darkness. Which um, what you, I think what you said at the time was it was going to be kind of like mist. It had um, elements of the same mechanics as Mystic Veil, vale and um, but then some. So I'm intrigued to know. I'm intrigued to know about that. You also in the green room mentioned to me about um, about space space as well. So we're going to have a little chat about that as well. Um, but I guess we'd better make everybody aware that the reason that we do this is because there's quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games. And the second reason that we're doing this is because we like to speak to creators about their up and coming projects and uh, as I say John's John's been on before check out the episode before um, but John's coming back again to to fill us in about the, the next exciting projects that he's got coming coming on so um, if we start with let's start with Edge of Darkness um, how long have you been how long has that been in development now yeah so thanks for that introduction um, Edge of Darkness has been in various stages of work since the initial idea I had back in uh, fall of 2013. So, mm-hmm. so rolling all the way back to fall of 2013, I think it was like September actually, is when I initially had the idea for card crafting. Um, and yeah. Uh, so, so Mystic Veil vale came out in 2016, but it wasn't the first game I designed using the card crafting system. That was actually Edge of Darkness. Yeah. Um, or it really even wasn't Edge of Darkness. It was a bunch of bad games I attempted to design using the system before finally ending <laughs> up with a good game. That was Edge of Darkness, right? Um, so in September, I guess, around then of 2013, I had the idea that combining, or specifically that using card sleeves as a yeah. actually essential piece of a game. It was never something I'd seen before in a game. And then no. if, if there were to be a game that required the use of card sleeves, what might that look like? Um, from there, a few game designs I tried, they were, they were okay at best. Um, and along that process, I had the idea of combining the card sleeves with transparent cards. So the first actual iteration of a card crafting game for me didn't involve transparent cards. It was just 
uh, card sleeves with oh, right. okay. special insignias on the front. And actually, it was it was uh-huh. it was a weird deck builder type of game um, where everyone was sort of playing out of one um, one group deck. So we were all group deck building, sort of one deck. Um, and but the deck would actually sort of pass around the table, so different people would it would all be one communal set of cards. Uh, and whenever you bought a new card to add to that sort of communal set of cards that we were building, you would slot the new card you bought into a card sleeve, which would then indicate on it your insignia, your color, um, on the front side. But the yeah, back side yeah, of all the okay. card sleeves was the same. So when someone drew a card, it would either be a neutral card or be a card that some other player owned, right? And then to use other people's cards, mm-hmm. you'd have to pay them. Um, so uh, that was a really cool idea, and I like that idea a lot. The game, I, I, I only got so far with that game idea, because then I had the idea that, wait, if I combine transparent cards with card sleeves, so that you can put multiple things into a single sleeve and actually morph the card as you play, yeah. instead of just, yeah. you know, mark who owns it, you know, that's actually really cool, right? So then I, I actually kept the idea of sort of a shared deck building, which is one of the mechanics in Edge of Darkness, but moved on to the idea of the core system of the game not being buying buying new cards, but modifying existing cards. Is it frustrating when you've got an idea for a game or a really good mechanic for the game, but it doesn't quite it kind of develop into a fully fledged game, and you're left with a really really cool idea that you have to wait until its time kind of its time kind of comes. Um, there's occasions when that happens, yeah. I, this was this was one where um, I knew the idea was good, uh, and I and, mm-hmm. and along the process of trying to make a game using that system, I came up with another idea that I thought was even better using that system, right? So I, I never really yeah. put in the time to the original game design that I was working on to make it into a good game, because shortly after getting it to the table and playtesting a handful of times, I then realized, oh wait, there's actually this whole other design space I could actually go into, which would be even more interesting. Um, but there have been games mm-hmm. where I was like, ooh, this sounds like a really cool idea. Let me turn this into a <laughs> prototype, you know, and then get it to the playtest table, and then it, it really just doesn't work. Even though there's a part of it that I that I really like, I, I wasn't able to put it in yeah. a, game, a game system that I liked. And sometimes I'll then try that mechanic in different different game systems, um, or or give up and move on to the next idea I've had. Yeah, it must be like um, a lot of the creative industries. If you've got a good story and you've got a good kind of central theme, and then you just you've got a really or you've got a really really good start for a film, and then you don't know how to end the film, or you don't know how to end this TV series. I think that's maybe what happened with something like Lost. Is they had like a really really good cent- central <laughs> kind of story, and then they went, and then they went, um, oh no, we're getting near the end. What do we do? And spoilers for Lost, even though it's <laughs> better, because you know what the internet's like. There'll be some guy. I'm just working my way through it. Um, every go. Oh, I don't know. Everybody's dead, <laughs> and that's how they kind of. That's how they kind of. <laughs> that's how they kind of get. How they kind of get around it. So, obviously, Mystic Veil. Came out and is still, you know, it's highly regarded. There's a lot of love that goes on in Mystic Veil, and just, you know, even the the nature of the mechanics and the card crafting side of things goes on. Um, did it then make you kind of put 
um, did it then make you put you know put everything kind of back on back on hold? Then did you kind of let Mystic Veil ride its own wave, and then say, okay, I'm gonna have? Did you feel kind of forced to wait a while before you um, you know you decided to I guess kind of pick up um, Edge of Darkness again? Yeah. So I, interestingly, I actually Edge of Darkness I compl- I sort of completed. I got to a point where I was happy with it. Happy enough to pitch to mm-hmm. pitch to publishers, and self-publishing was never a um, a route that I was considering going down with this game. So I, my plan was to pitch it to publishers, yeah. and I got it to a point that I really liked or liked enough, and pitched yeah. it to a number of publishers. Um, AEG was interested; they ended up being the one that that got the game. Um, and at that point, I hadn't even started working on Mystic Veil, vale, but I had ideas for other ways to take the the core system of card crafting. Um, there's a lot of design space there, yeah. and AEG was yeah. specifically interested in in following up Edge of Darkness with a lighter, more accessible sort of gateway style game. So I said, "Well, let me yeah. see what I can do. I'll I'll work on a design sort of in that in that vein, right?" And Mystic Veil just came together really quickly, actually, from there. Um, I was inspired by, uh, obviously, obviously it has elements of Dominion as a deck builder, right, um, and other deck builders. But I was specifically inspired by a game called Design Town, um, which had the, oh, okay. which had the sort of push your luck, sort of blackjack style hand draw. Um, and I sort of uh-huh. fused the two, and it worked really well in Mystic Veil. So that actually came together so fast that AEG decided they would do Mystic Veil first and and hold off on Edge of Darkness till later. And yeah, there was about there was about a year where I was working on Mystic Veil and other designs and um, I really didn't work on Edge of Darkness for probably about a nine to twelve month period or so from twenty fifteen when I first started working on Mystic Veil till maybe around when Mystic Veil released in twenty sixteen. Um, and then I went back to the design table with Edge of Darkness and started um, started refining some things. I made a few changes that improved the game. You know, there's a, there's an advantage to having a game sitting on a shelf for a while because when you come back to it, you come back to it with fresh eyes, right? Um, and there's you know the issues that you sort of stopped noticing because you were just playing the game so much in the past. You then notice as almost a, not really a new player to the game, but but more like that. Um, so I made some changes that improved it after that period, um, and more made yeah. more content for yeah. it and stuff like that. Okay, so it kind of, in many ways, you having to almost take a little bit of a break from it is ultimately kind of in you've you're more happier with the way Edge of Darkness is now than when it's when you had left it on the shelf for Mystic Veil. Yeah, I mean. It, the waiting is, you know, it's always exciting when a game starts coming together and then ultimately I can hold the final product in my hands, right? But um, the fact that yeah, it, yeah. the fact that it got delayed, um, is is going to mean it's a better, it's a better product and a better game in the end. So, so it's a good thing. Okay. Um, as a quick aside, I guess, is there? Um, did you get anything nice for Christmas? <laughs> so. Uh, uh, the the one game did I spoil, did you spoil yourself? The one no no I didn't spoil myself. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> did you say darn it? <laughs> the the uh, I just thought you would if you know I thought you'd do what it pushed the boat out. You know there was you know a couple of games kind of the one game I picked up about the, you know the one game I picked yeah. up over the well actually it was after the holidays but with someone said here I I you know this is money that you can only spend on buying yourself a board game um, was basically the gift uh, so I used that to buy. Civilization New Dawn from Fantasy Flight, which I actually got to try back at Board Game Geek Convention oh, in November, okay. and it, um, I actually don't, I don't think I liked it as much as the original one they did, but it's a much yeah. lighter and faster game, so it's probably going to hit the table a lot more often. Um, and and so I did you manage uh, to get it to the table, yeah. Uh, tonight is tonight. We're going to bust it out. Uh, actually, I got a game event I'm going to with what? plans to. Plans to crack it out. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Is it all punched and everything? Are you like ready to go then? Are you like? You no, know, we'll, we'll be doing the open? we'll be doing the punching tonight. Really? Yep. Do you kind of do that then? Do you kind of like? Do you kind of like say right? Okay, if you're going to be bringing a game to the table, do you actually just let everybody punch it? Kind of get that new game smell, get the glue in the get the glue <laughs> up the nose and everything like that. Can <laughs> I don't know, I'm not one of those types, the second I get home with a new game, I immediately take off the shrink and open it and punch everything. You know, that can wait till I actually play it. Is it like... (laughs) Really? I suppose you were going to say. Yeah, ironically, um, sort of, sort of tangential to that, um, ironically, I I never sleeve any of my games. Um, I... It was the only the only time I ever use card sleeves is in prototypes, and of course now designing games that you have to use card sleeves. So I've, I've always thought that was funny. It's <laughs> a strange, strange irony. Don't <laughs> well, do things uh, like pick cards with your teeth and stuff. No, no, it's ironic. It's ironic that I don't sleeve my games as the person who created the card crafting system that requires the use of card sleeves. <laughs> That's 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 the irony I'm highlighting here. <laughs> I don't know. I get kind of lost with all irony memes after Alanis Morissette released an entire song that was none of it was actually ironic. It was just you know, it was just a, just a pain in the butt. You know, there was nothing in that song that was actually ironic. You know, you know, a traffic jam when you're already late. That's not ironic. It's just the fact that it's annoying. You know, um, you know. You know, he caught his was it he caught his flight and then he died the next day or something like that. That's that's a tragedy. That's not ironic. There's no irony there, Alanis. Get it sorted out for goodness sake. Give her a dictionary. Anyway, so that's so today we learned from John's teaching us irony today, so thank you, John. Um <laughs> But um so Edge of Darkness, let's talk about let's talk about Edge of Darkness. Because I'm interested because Mystic Vale is a st- it's as I say, a stunning-looking game, and you know there's a lot of love that goes goes around for Mystic Veil. Vale. So let's talk about Edge of Darkness. Tell me about the mechanics, how it works. You know, sure, everything. Sure. So um, the the core of the game is a, is the card crafting, um, but it works entirely differently mm-hmm. than how Mystic Veil vale does. Um, so. The, the game plays out of a central deck of cards, which everyone... It's two to four players, um, and I actually have a solo variant that I've been working on. 
the game plays, but it, it, typically the normal game is two to four players. Everyone plays out of one central deck. So you're drawing your hand from and discarding to that one central deck. But okay. some of the cards in that deck are owned by some players. Um, some of them are neutral. Um, basically, how it's going to, the flow of the game is there's a round in which everyone drafts a hand of cards from this central deck. Then there's a second right. round where everyone resolves the hand of cards they've drawn. And the key in that round is that every one of every time you do that round, you get to pick a new advancement and slot it onto one of your cards. So you're not actually spending anything to get advancements. You just get one for free every turn. Um, and the cards in the All deck, right. the cards in the deck, I, I <laughs> this is this is a, this is what I always do. I always start with um, I always start with mechanics. But let me let me take a back step and explain the theme first. So. Um, <laughs> I always, I just dive straight into the mechanics. It's okay, we can, we can edit this. <laughs> yeah. We can edit this so we can chop and change. I'll take this whole chunk of out, uh, audio you're about to say and we'll put it in the front and then we'll, we'll cut out the bit where you say, okay, I'm forgetting about the theme. And then you can just go on and say, okay, and we'll just start and go, okay, John, tell us the theme behind Edge of Darkness. Woo. Woo. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the... So what we, who we are in the game, we're guild masters. So each each player represents a um, the leader of a particularly powerful guild within a city of the realm. And this particular city that we're in is on the border of the evil realm. Um, and it's a it's a realm that's been cursed. Um, it used to be part of you know the human realm, but now it's been cursed and is. Um, taken over by shades and, and creatures of the darkness, right? And now the, all those creatures of the darkness are attempting to infiltrate this city. Uh, and the city is a powerful trade city, um, uh, military city, uh, but it is now faced with this encroaching darkness. Um, the guild masters are the leaders of the city. They control the politics, the economics, um, and the military of the city. And they're also responsible for defending the city against this sort of encroaching darkness, right? Um, so the central deck of cards that everyone plays out of is each card in the deck represents either a citizen or a patrician, a noble person of the city, who um, is it's a particularly important person in the city. They have influence over um, the city, the senate, etc. Um, some of those character cards that are in that central deck are aligned to particular guilds. So um, at the game, at the start of the game, everyone has four of those cards that you know have their allegiance to mm -hmm. your guild. And then there's a bunch of neutral citizens and patricians, right? Um, and then on your turn, mm -hmm. when you have a hand of cards, so you'll have a hand of cards, which will be some mix of citizens and patricians. On your turn, what you're going to do is you're going to be selecting a advancement from one of ten different locations on the board. Uh, each location on the board it represents a location within this city. So there might be the Senate, there could be the Watchtowers, um, uh, there could be a university, right? So each of these locations represents um, some important place in the city. And they each come with a stack of identical advancements that represent a um, important person associated with that location. So for example, or and and the advancement is essentially a contact. So when I take one of those advancements, I then slot it onto one of the character cards in my hand. 
meaning maybe I put the university professor slotted onto one of my citizens. That means that citizen now has a connection to the professor at the university. So they can, they can connect with that professor to gain um, some benefit or influence over that location. Right. So every turn you're going to get to take one of these connection advancements and put it onto one of the character cards in your hand. And of course you want your own citizens and patricians to be more well connected in the city. So you're always going to want to slot the advancements onto your own cards. Then you get to resolve all the cards in your hand and they'll do different things. Right. So that's the general flow of the game. You get a, You draw a hand of cards from a communal deck. Um, you're going to pick an advancement from one of the ten locations and slot it onto a card, and then you get to do all of the eff- yeah. all of the effects in your hand, and then you discard your hand, right? And the central deck, when it runs out, like a deck builder, will shuffle, and then become the, and and become the new draw deck, right? They'll shuffle the discard pile and it becomes a new draw deck. Um, so the central deck keeps cycling like a deck builder, but we're all drawing from and discarding to the same deck. Um, when I draw a card that is um, aligned to someone else, so maybe it's one of your cards. I can use your card, but I have to pay you to use it. I have to pay for the privilege of using the connections that your citizen oh, or patrician right. has, okay. right? So if I want to use the connection mm-hmm. your citizen has to the university professor, I have to pay him a buck, right? And say, look, can you you know help me out with this connection here, right? Um, and then the 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 effect will do something for me, right? Moreover, uh, when I discard my hand of cards cards that are um, aligned to other players will go to their um, will go to that player so that player will get their own cards back basically your cards only ever your cards only ever end up in the discard pile after you get to use them if someone else draws them first they go to you and then they go to the discard pile Um, so again what cards you own in the central deck really matters so of course an element of the game then is um, you can take uh, you can claim the allegiance of the neutral cards in the deck so that more of these citizens and patricians become aligned to your guild, right? So there's other people are end up drawing more of your cards and having to pay you more often for the effects. Um, so so at, yeah. this, at the same time, can you then make, if, if, you know, can you hold on to other people's cards and decide you're not going to kind of discard them. So if I pick up, say, your cards, I can actually try and hold them in my hand so that you can't get your hands on them if I'm going through my discard thing. Is there a kind of a, a bit no, of a so whether aspect to it? You can't, you can't hoard other people's cards. So whether you use the card or not use the card, you have to discard it. And if it's someone else's card, when you right. discard it, it goes to them. Right. So you can't, right, you, can't cool. you can't hoard cards from other people. Um... Uh, mm-hmm. When you draw cards out of the central deck, you have some control over what you draw. You're not just randomly drawing cards off the top. So sometimes you want to um, uh, sometimes you want to snatch your own cards, right? Um, so that you don't let other people get the privilege of using them. And sometimes you want to intentionally leave your own cards out there for other people to draw, so that they'll pay you for them. Um, and there's there's some there's some more uh, meta strategies about trying to pace your cards out, right? So that you, you don't draw all of your cards at once. Um, but that that strategy that once you've played the game will make sense and is is just me blabbering if you haven't played the game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, so You're the not other, one to blabber as well. <laughs> so the so the the way all of the mechanics mesh together is comes down to the location 
locations in the city that are being used. Um, and this is actually module, right. modular. Um, every game, there's 10 locations that are used. Um, but the game is going to have a lot more than that available to use. So depending on what your setup is, so the, the best analogy is Dominion, um, right? So in Dominion, you have 10 action cards, right? Um, and every game yeah, you use a yeah. different set of 10 action cards, right? That's the best analogy. Um, uh, but in, so basically in, in Edge of Darkness, you pick 10 locations. Each location comes with a specific stack of advancement cards, right? That represent the, the contact for that location. Um, and then, and then with those 10 that you have out there, you play the game, right? So uh, what the type of locations will mm-hmm. do are some of them will give you money. Some of them are really straightforward. They just say, you know, you get money. Um, some of them, will, mm-hmm. many of them will require the use of agents, which is um, most synonymous to sort of a worker placement type of mechanic. Um, basically how it works is, uh, and, it, and each location advancement combination interacts with agents potentially a little differently and of course they all explain it um, on the cards but so one so the action card or the, the the advancement card might allow you to place agents at a particular location and then that location will say for every agent you have here you know you get a dollar at the start of the round right um, and agents and you have a certain number of you have a fixed number of agents but there's there's an advancement that you can pick that allow you to train more agents. So now you can get more workers, so you can spread out to the locations in the city more. Um, did you have a question? Okay. So was... Yeah, I did. I was going to say, does <laughs> that mean... Did you bring the different locations in mind because of replayability then? Oh, or yeah. to mix around with the mechanics that were available? Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I wanted, I wanted to mix a lot of replayability into the game. So, um, imagine, imagine a game like a worker placement game where you know there's, there's, ten different locations you could put workers down, and they'll all do something different. But every time you play the game, you can just swap those ten out and use a different ten locations, right? And all the mechanics sort of mesh. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's, but there's, there's some key effects that will always be around, right? But different versions of them might be available. So, for example. There's always going to be a location in the game that allows you to train new agents, right? Um, but there's different versions of a loca- of locations that let you train agents. So there might be one that says, place an agent down the first time you use this effect, and then the second time you use the effect, take the agent back and train a new agent, right? There might be another okay. one that you use in a different game that says, you know, just pay a bunch of money and you train an agent, right? Um, so depending on the set of advancements or set of locations you have out there, you might end up with a board that is really money tight or a board that, you know, you can get a lot of money and, you know, and buy things with it, right? So de- yeah, 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 depending yeah. on what you got yeah. out there, there's a, you have to really sort of approach your strategy very differently. That's an interesting take for a worker, almost like a, a, a game that has worker place elements because, as you say, you normally get like a fixed fixed space or there's a tendency for a legacy element where you're changing the board forever but it's it's unusual to see some because usually um okay take viticulture for instance the the spaces on the board are always the same you're always placing your guys in the spaces in order to get your workers or plant your vines and everything like that the only variation that you have in the game 
is um, the winter and the summer visitor cards and they have the random effects on the game in order to they have an effect on the mechanics and how you act in certain situations but since what you're doing here is you're like saying well from the beginning you could effectively play three games of Edge of Darkness and not have the same experience and as you say have a game where everybody's just rolling about in cash so it becomes a case of who is able to build up the strength the quickest through to everybody's like scrimping and saving so it's a case it comes down to doing the best with the actual resources that you you have your have you you're able to muster together yeah yep that's that's spot on um uh yeah i mean other other games that come to mind that have sort of varying worker placements you know lords of Waterdeep, right has your standard locations but then over the course of the game buildings are built that add new ones right um uh, there's other games where you might get be able to purchase your own worker placement location during the game. Um, yeah. Like Manhattan Project, right? Um, there's a bunch of standard worker placement locations, but during the game you can buy your own, so you can specifically put your own guys on your locations. Um, but yeah, like this one, mm-hmm. right from the get-go, every game you've got a you've got a a different mix of locations, um, and I mean, it's it's really it's really designed such that any one set of 10 locations can be played many times and you, you there's different there's different strategies in every setup right there's different paths to victory in every setup there's not like well with this 10 locations you have to figure out what the path to victory is and once you do it once you figured it out then you just do that path to victory every time right um, it's really you know yeah with this ten set, with this set of ten locations, there's these four different paths to victory, um, and you know you could play this setup multiple times, and um, it'd be a different experience every time. And then if you want to, you can swap out a few locations and swap in others, and now you've changed it up. Yeah, does that is that um, does that also then give you the opportunity to maybe create a slightly different theme kind of expansion for the game? Then, if you decided to go down that route further on. Yeah, so what we want to do, um, we've, we've got some expansion stuff that we're working on, um, and the idea is, uh, the the one expansion I've been working on um, is set in a different part of the realm, so it's another part, it's another city, essentially, um, that is mm-hmm. also under threat from this darkness, this encroaching darkness, um, but it's they have a different culture, and they you know they're they're a city that trades with the the their original city, right? So you could use locations from each city, right? And with the idea that you know these are cities that have a, a, a trade thing, so you could interact with both with you know connections at both cities. Um, and then the idea is as we expand, we we introduce new cities and their in different cultures with a with a whole set of new um, types of effects. Okay. Okay. Um, see when you're, see when you're putting to game a game together like this, and you're wanting people to be able to learn it. Have you got kind of like set decks you're going to get people to try? It's like if you're this is your first game, try these ten locations, try this deck, try this one. Um, or do you try and just say, well, listen, you just dive in and and do whatever you want to do, kind of thing? Yeah, definitely recommended setups. I've got um, I've got quite a few made already and we're going to be going to be having more um the game will we're still deciding how exactly we want to do it but we'll probably have like a player handbook type of mm-hmm. thing in the box 
um, that will list yeah. a bunch of recommended setups as well as rules for creating random setups. Um, and I've even I've even come up with a list of you know for your first game play this setup for your second game you know just yeah. swap out just these two different locations so eight of them are the same as your first game but swap out two right and um, and then for your third game yeah. you know make this adjustment and for your fourth game make this adjustment and by the time you've played four games you've seen uh, you've seen a whole bunch of different locations right um, and you've but yeah, you've been yeah. gradually introduced to the more complicated effects, right? Um, Edge of Darkness is a it's a lot to intake when you first sit down to learn the rules. It's actually it's actually fairly it's not a super complex game once you get once you figure it out. But you have to, every time you sit down to the table, right? You have to be like, okay, what do these ten effects do? And then I have to think about how they synergize and how I want to approach it. And a lot of a, a good strategy in Edge of Darkness is about planning planning mid and late game even at the beginning of the game um so it's a yeah, lot to intake yeah. for a new player so we sort of introduce them to the more simple effects that have a little bit more straightforward paths to victory um uh and then gradually introduce some more with recommended setups and then there's rules for random setups um which i always enjoy doing yeah. as you know because there's with the number of locations i've got i i haven't i haven't personally played anywhere near the possible number of combinations that you could right um <laughs> yeah exactly right I, I probably never will right um so it's fun for me to just do a random setup and then even you know as someone who's played many times try to f explore and figure out what how i want to approach this new setup um so the but the recommend the random setups have to have rules because you can't just grab any random 10 um there's a little there's a little too much um, like Dominion gets away with that because it's a it's a gateway game. It's very simple, right? Um, but this game would potentially break if you didn't have certain effects in the game. So, like I said, there's always going to be an effect that lets you train agents, right? Um, but uh, yeah, the way in which you train agents might be different, right? But you'll always be able to do it somehow. Um, so the random so the the random setups have rules that sort of guide you in creating a setup um, that isn't super broken, right? No, no, I've seen, I've seen that. I've seen it. Um, I mean, the idea of placing down, I guess, having a movable feast in terms of the, the kind of the worker placement spaces. I've seen it used in Dice Forge, where you have like the beginning part of the game where you can play in easy mode, and then you've got another completely different set of cards if you want to ramp up the difficulty or you want to ramp up the mechanics that are kind of available on the same. At the same time, in terms of you getting the balance, I've seen um, like Dinosaur Island recently has a kind of like win conditions, and uh, you have to have like I think it's like three objectives, if I'm correct. It has a win. Yeah. Two of the. It has adjustable win conditions, right? and it says, yeah, yeah, and you've got to like, uh, but the thing it does say, um, it 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 doesn't. What it says is, by the way, okay, if it's pretty clear that two two of the effects completely um contradict each other then take one away and kind of remove it so um like i mean if that's the complication with like three cards i can imagine the kind of you'll have to kind of police what's going to happen with 10 cards especially if it's a random game oh yeah for sure um you know if 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 you if i let it be random you could you could entirely random you could end up with a setup where 
a number of key effects cost money, and then no effect gives you money, right? So that would clearly not be a game that would work well, <laughs> right? <laughs> it sounds like real life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah, everything's costing me something, and I'm not getting anything back. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's, that's what a bank manager would say. Real, real life bank, scenario. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, are you going to Kickstarter with Edge of Darkness? Edge of Darkness is going to be on Kickstarter. It is scheduled, and okay. I currently don't foresee it changing, but it it is somewhat possible, I guess. Though I guess when when this when you launch this podcast, it'll be like a week away. February twentieth is when this will be um, up on Kickstarter, so the near future. And I I, wow. I don't expect that date to change. Um, but that would be AEG's call yeah. if they if they decide to adjust it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's coming up. And um, that's really that is really really um, that's really close. That's really close. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even two. That's, Three weeks. Yep. It's twenty days. Twenty days. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Have you been? Um, <clears throat> Have you been part of the marketing side of things for and helping kind of getting the word out and stuff like that as well? Have you been, you know, because it's your game, do you feel the need to kind of get in there and kind of get, you know, get involved with the community more and, and make sure everybody knows about the campaign before it's launched? It's not, it's not my responsibility, but I do get involved and I do want to be involved, yeah. Um, you know, AG takes, yeah. is doing most of... AG's doing all of that, and I am I am dabbling mm-hmm. in it when they ask me to or when I want to. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, what I mean, one of the things we've not at, we've not talked about is um, how much it's going to be. Is I mean, is a price being set for like the base game? Is it going to be? Is it going to have a a kind of a deluxe version of Edge of Darkness. I mean, what's what's the kind of the situation with that? Yeah, I think they're going to have two tiers. So um, your your standard, where I don't think you you don't get stretch goals or something like that, but you get you get all the regular content that you would get, um, and then the the deluxe one that comes with a hopefully right a, a ton of stretch goals if we if we if we hit them, um, uh, and I think. The last I heard was um, uh, that one would be a hundred dollars for the for the deluxe one, and I don't know what okay. the other, I don't I don't want to I don't want to misinform people, so I don't know what the other one will be. But it won't it will be some some amount less than that. Seventy eight thirty seven. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You heard it here. It's confirmed. Right. So if you see it more than that. <laughs> it's John's fault. <laughs> um, is it? Um, and I mean, you've got Edge of Darkness coming out. Um, is there anything else happening with Mystic Veil at the moment? Are you got any more expansions planned for that at all? Yeah, we've got the next big thing for Mystic Veil coming out is what what's being called the Conclave expansion. This is um, mm-hmm. this is like a big box. Um, that is meant to be a storage box for everything. So if you um, if you currently have the base game plus all three expansions, you're going to be um, mostly out of space in the base game box. Um, so this Conclave yeah. expansion, um, it has some content in it, 
and it, its main purpose though is um, to be a large storage box to um, be able to store everything you've gotten for the game so far and then everything that will ever come out for the game is the idea um, it's the same it's sort of the similar to what AEG did with um, their smash up big geeky box um, but it does come yeah, with yeah. it does come come with one thing that I'm excited to actually um, get have get out there in the wild is um, in the big box is uh, two additional decks, two additional starting decks. So you now have six of them. Okay. And rules and some uh, a few components that are needed to play um, uh, a different variant of the game, uh, which plays faster than the other variant, um, uh, or than the regular game. Oh, okay. But you basically play the same amount of game, but it doesn't take as long um, if you're playing with mm-hmm. if you're playing with more than four players. So the idea is you can now play the game six players, but the pacing of the game is just as fast, right? Um, so and have you got have you got a price for that as well? Then I don't actually know what the price of that one's going to be. Seventy-eight thirty-seven, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Seventy-eight thirty-seven. <laughs> I don't know why you're coming up with this number. It seems such a random number to be charging people for a game, John. I mean, well, that's what happens when you get when you get your MSRP from podcasters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh dear! It better not be able to be in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it still good? <laughs> is it still good to go kind of go back to Mystic Vale and kind of tinker with it and play around with it and play in the kind of the, the mechanics again? Oh, I I'm not sick of Mystic Vale. Um, I the I've been working on, um, I've been working on a couple different standalone expansions where um, it's basically a full new set of cards that you could play just with this set. Um, one of those is uh-huh. probably going to come out later this year, with the next one coming out as the 2019 release so they want to they want to go away a little bit from the smaller box expansions and um start releasing standalone um expansions with the idea that you can mix it in with all the other content if you want to or you can leave it separate as it's Mm -hmm. as its own different experience of playing mystic veil so uh i'm still enjoying a lot there's there's um i keep discovering new design space for this game um and, uh, mm-hmm. It's fun. Cool. So, are you actually aiming to get the biggest board game box ever? Because I mean, has Isaac Childress kind of set the bar with having? I mean, are we looking at a box eventually you can like live in, kind of thing? No, this is not going to be Gloomhaven or Twilight Imperium size. <laughs> so, um, oh, I it's don't. Be nice and nice. The, I mean, the, actually, the Mystic Veil box that I saw is is quite large. The the new box. Um, if you if if you have bought everything for Mystic Veil up till now, um, you will have plenty of room left yeah. in that box for future stuff. It's quite large. Um, it is not Gloomhaven large though. All right. Okay. Yeah. You can't fit a small toddler in it then. No. 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 <laughs> you can't. You can't hide infants okay. inside. <laughs> exactly. Imagine having that as a claim on a board game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there's been photographs on Facebook. It's like that's all I saw. It's like oh, I got Gloomhaven delivered, and here's my small child inside the Gloomhaven box. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah, it comes with real adventurers. That's 
They just have to. They just have to grow up. <laughs> Actual size of minis. Right. Exactly. Life. They life, never actually yeah. said they're leveling up. Yeah. This is a real legacy game. No, this is gonna. Said... This one's gonna take years. <laughs> never said that, like the um, leveling up system was like actually you know thirty five years before you got right. your character up to full strength. That's right. Life lifetime replay value. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I suppose if you don't mind your kids living with you until you're like whatever age, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing you're, the other thing we mentioned earlier on was space base. So let's, um, you know, Edge of Darkness, Edge of Darkness on the twentieth. Um, you can jump in on the deluxe version for a hundred dollars. You can jump in. Um, Potentially, you can jump in in the smaller level for seventy-eight, thirty-seven. Though that has to be confirmed. <laughs> but let's, <laughs> but um, but let's talk about um, space base. Um, you you talked, you mentioned this briefly. I think back, um, you were you you kind of hinted at some kind of dice-based game that you were kind of working on when we chatted back in October, um, and that's now coming. That is now going to be coming into, I guess a. a, a in a campaign kind of near you. So what is Space Base going to be all about? Yeah, so Space Base is the polar opposite of Edge of Darkness. So Edge of Darkness is a big, uh, medium-weight, Euro-complex game, um, and Space Base is a dice-chucking, um, light gateway game. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Space Base is... Um, uh, I expect I expect the immediate comparison people will give to Space Base is to Machi Koro. Um, it has mm-hmm. it has this just like Machi Koro. It's got that you know on your turn you roll dice and then depending on what you roll you and potentially other people will get stuff right. Um, so so Settlers I think was the first game to use that mechanic that I'm aware of right. Uh, Machi Koro implemented it in a really really streamlined super accessible um, game right where it's just cards and dice right um, so space yeah. base space base um, is is like a couple steps up from machi Koro on the complexity scale um, it 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 gives you more control if you want to be the guy who has more control over your dice it gives you more control over your outcome yeah. um, so it's it's um, at its core, it's like an engine builder, right? Um, every card uh, you have, every player has a has a board with uh, starting cards numbered one through twelve, um, and you lay these cards out on your board from one to twelve. Um, and every every card gives you some benefit that you get when you roll the dice, right? So um, if I and the and a core distinction is when I roll my dice, I can either get both individual values. So if I roll a four and a two, I could take the benefit of my four card and my two card. Or I could take the sum of the dice and get the benefit of my six card. Right? Um, All right, okay. So every time I roll, I make that decision. What, what, which, which two or one effect do I want, right? So the, um, the, the power scale of the cards on your board are one through six are all very weak effects, but they're really easy to roll, right? And then 7 through 12 okay. scale in power 
um, because obviously from 7 to 12 it gets increasingly di more difficult to roll them, right? Uh, but starting at 7, you need two okay. dice, right? So the, the jump from 6 to 7 is huge in, in probability of hitting it, so so is the jump in the benefit you get if you roll it. So you have this board, on your turn you roll your dice, you pick whether you either want to take the sum mm -hmm. of the dice or the individual dice, and then you get the rewards, right? Um, the rewards pile up mm -hmm. in terms of um, uh, uh, credits. Credits are used to purchase new cards. Um, when you buy a new card, um, like Mystic Veil, there's three tableaus of weak and cheap cards scaling up to expensive and powerful cards, right? Um, and on your turn, you get to buy one of these. And when you buy one, it's going to replace a card on your board. So every card that you buy is going to say, put this in position number 8 or number 2 or number 1 or number 12, right? Um, All right. Okay. So if okay. I buy a card that's for position number 8, it replaces my current 8 card. And my current 8 card flips around, revealing a new effect, and it tucks under my player board. So just that new effect goes up to the top. And the new card I bought then replaces it on my player board. So as I buy new cards, every effect that gets replaced gets flipped up atop of my board and has a new uh, sort of smaller, weaker effect. The smaller, weaker effects that build up okay. on top of your board, you score those on opponent's rolls, but not on your own rolls. So you always get stuff on your own. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you always get stuff on your own rolls. Doesn't matter what you roll, you will hit either the sum or two individual things on your own board, right? Um, and then what you buy starts creating a a set of effects that trigger off opponent's rolls, right? Um, and then some key so so some key distinctions are some cards uh, give you control over the dice. So for example, um, one effect, um, one of the mechanics in the game is what's called uh, charging up abilities. So um, an effect might say, yeah. you know, when you roll a four, place a charge counter on this card, right? So if I, if I roll a four, I get to put a charge counter on my four card, right? And then the card says, whenever you want to, you can spend a charge counter to take one higher than whatever the dice were, right? So later in the game, maybe I have a bunch of really good effects in my 10 slot, right? Um, and someone else rolls a 10, yeah, yeah. And someone else, or someone else rolls a 9, right? I can spend a charge that I've charged up on my 4 card to turn that 9 into a 10, and I get my 10 effects. It only affects me. I don't turn it into a 10 for everybody. Um, so yeah. a lot of what you're building into your board is you're attempting to build in how are you going to get your payoff, and then build in um, uh, effects and combinations that will allow you to get that payoff more likely or more often, right? Or if you want to be the guy who just goes crazy luck, you just can buy a bunch of bunch of cards, like big expensive cards with big payoffs, and nothing that gives you more better odds of hitting them. And then just you just hope you hit them, right? So if you want to be the luck guy who just hopes for the yeah. big the big hit, right? Or you can control your luck um, by building in ways of of um, guaranteeing or having a much better chance of um, hitting the hitting the type of the point scoring cards that you want. The game plays okay. uh, the game plays two How's to five it, players. Um... It plays two to five players. Okay. Um, uh, it the length of the game scales with the players, um, but uh, even at five players, it, it doesn't play more than an hour. It it plays usually forty five minutes with forty five minutes to fifty minutes or so with. Uh, uh, five players and you know less with fewer players. Has it um, been difficult to 
I mean, you said gateway, and I was like, John Clare said, John, uh, guys, John said gateway game, and I was just thinking, the gateway game? Um, is it difficult to, when you're working on something, when you're used to kind of like complex games that you've put together, like, you know, Mystic Veil and Downfall and Edge of Darkness, did you find yourself kind of holding back and thinking, well, I could add this mechanic, but it's going to maybe complicate things a little bit more? Um, yes, that happens. Um, uh, th- that happens in almost every game design. Um, there's always like, ooh, okay. this sounds cool, but, <laughs> right. Um, Space Base, my goal was to make a game that you can teach, uh, you know, as you just start playing the game. So, I mean, the game essentially, usually when I teach it, I we just start, I go first. I, I sort of explain mm-hmm. everything I do on my turn, like, okay, I'm going to roll the dice. Now I'm going to make a choice. And I either do this. Then I'm going to buy this, which replaces that. All right, now it's your turn. Um, and I just sort of explain what happens as we do our first round of the game, and by the time we've done one or two rounds, everybody knows how to play, right? And that was sort of my goal, was to make this a game that, that you just sit down and you start playing, and after a couple rounds, everybody knows how to play. Um, so I did. I did have to hold back adding in um, additional mechanics that I thought might be cool. Um, yeah. Was it f- was it fun to kind of put together a game of this type where you were you were able to get I guess the core design done quite quickly? Um, did it has it made you think or oh, other maybe lighter? quicker games that you could maybe be concentrating on as well to kind of I guess increase your portfolio and things like that? Oh for sure um, The uh, there was a period last year where I was working on a few too many big complicated games uh, which um, I've, I think I've learned that I need to be working on a, a range of games at any one time so you know working on maybe one or two light games one or two medium games, and no more than, like, one heavy complex game at a time, right? Um, there's only so much space in my brain for keeping track of everything, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. Also, also the, the amount of time it takes to take a design from concept to finish is much, obviously much shorter the lighter the game is. I mean, when we spoke last time, um, we obviously... Um, we spoke. You were playing. Um, we were, you know, you were you were talking about kind of um, downfall, um, and with the way the campaign kind of worked. Um, I mean, are you gonna? You mentioned you obviously you've you've got the expansion for Mystic Veil. Vale, you've got Edge of Darkness. You've now got Space Base. Um, are you looking at? Is it going to be another big game? from yourself or are you now are you kind of thinking well the middle sized games are pretty are, are maybe a little bit easier to kind of put together or are you, are you just kind of going to do kind of a mixture of kind of everything um, it, it it depends on what the design goal is what I'm inspired to be working on um, yeah the, I'm not locking myself into a category um, I'm, I'm probably not going to tackle uh, something as complex as downfall on a regular basis. Um, of course, I've got I've got yeah. like five ideas for games that are that would be that complicated that sound like a lot of fun to work on. Um, but yeah. I, I kind of have to I kind of have to pick one at a time or or even less than one at a time if there's a lot of other stuff going on. Also, 
Um, but mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say. You know. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop working on light games or stop working on complex games. It's. It's going to be a balancing act of how much time I have and where other projects I'm currently working on are at. And have you got a whole plethora of other projects? Of course you have. You constantly have a plethora of projects. But, I mean, um, have you got a lot more planned for the rest of the year or are you just going to be concentrating on Edge of Darkness and Space Base for this year and then and then other things kind of into 2019? So um, I am actually hoping to be done um, needing to needing to continue doing design work on Edge of Darkness within, you know, I'm, I'm mostly done the design on it, actually. In turn, the, the, core, the core design is done, um, and, it, you know, I might still do some tweaks to specific location effects, but the design is essentially done, yeah. and, I, and I, I hope to move off of that um, for the rest of this year. Um, space Base, depending on how well it does, I may end up um, spending some time doing an expansion for it, um, yeah. Uh, outside of that, that one should be pretty much done. The other games I'm working on right now are um, one of them is a uh, there's a, there's a few too many games I'm working on right now, but um, the 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 big ones <laughs> the big ones on the top of my priority right now are one of them is a is another card crafting game. It's another it's probably in the same weight class as Edge of Darkness, so it's it's a little on the heavier end. Yeah. Um, it's currently it's a it's a high seas pirate game where um, every card represents one of your crew, and your crew are going to gain new skills and new items, um, and the crew drive your actions that you get to do with your ship on the board, um, and it's got some elements of area control, um, some piratey battles, um, but at its core, it's a engine building economic game, right? Because you're 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 sort of engine you're sort of building your crew into a really efficient, powerful crew while fighting for other players for control of, of islands out in the sea and, um, and you know, fighting pirates or, or being a pirate. Um, that's one game I'm working on. The, the other game I'm working on okay. is would, would be a really big box game, but not a complex game um, because of the components. Um, uh, currently it's called Gunslinger. That name's going to probably have to change, but um, my prototype is called Gunslinger. And this one is a... Uh, this one is the weirdest design I've ever worked on. Um, it's probably it's probably my most okay. it's probably my most unique game experience that I've designed, and and maybe one of the most unique game experiences that I've ever played. Um, you, uh, it's a it's an it's a tactical minis game, an area control tactical minis game where um, you play. There's a bunch of different scenarios, and you're battling over trying to achieve certain scenarios. Sometimes one player is the attacker, other people are on defense. Sometimes it's symmetrical where you both yeah. have the same objective and you're just fighting over it, right? Um, uh, and, the, and we're hoping to have really cool miniatures in it. But all of the combat in the game is driven by the use of a cube gun. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a toy gun that shoots cubes. Um, so, so you play in, a, in an arena essentially, and, and the game would come with walls so you don't shoot off the table all the time. Um, and it would come uh-huh. with terrain, and in this case, terrain isn't like modifying dice. It, it actually matters, right? You want to hide your guys behind terrain because it makes them harder to shoot, right? So 
you're moving your guys behind terrain to take cover. You're, you're trying to, you can build terrain. You can build fortresses, which allows you to place essentially like Jenga blocks down on the table um, to cover your guys. Um, you know, sometimes you might need to charge across a bridge, which puts you in really easy shot for your opponent, but you need to get across it, right? Um, and the whole game is is very simple in its in its movements and its mechanisms, and it's all about yeah. um, and all and and how you essentially achieve. You can win the game being a terrible shot if you have good strategy. You make your moves at the right time. You pick your shots. You don't go for tough shots. You make sure you hit the shots you can. The idea is that the gun is accurate enough that you don't have to be a great shot to hit. Right? You, if you if you want to hit something close that's easy, you can hit the thing that's close that's easy. Right? If you want to be the guy who's a super good sniper and hits the hard shot, go for it. Right? Um, so it's a very tactical um, uh, experience, but but just uh, uproariously funny and crazy because you know just things happen in this game that don't happen in other games right there might be a fortress and you've been hiding in it's a tower right and your guys are at the top and they have a gun at the top yeah. and they've been using it really powerfully but somebody finally shoots the leg off the tower and the whole thing collapses and crunches like five guys beneath it right and they're all dead right when you shoot a guy over or knock a guy over he's dead right you know just stuff like that happens in this game that's just just awesome but where did you get the idea for that, though? I mean, where did you where did you go from? Because you always strike me as somebody that likes the the kind of the the more complicated kind of reasonably decent mechanics. You need a bit of a head about you, and it sounds to me that now you what you're doing is you're going around kind of chucking cubes and knocking stuff over, and it sounds like there's going to be noises and laughter and oh know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people potentially chucking you know making a mess of the place and. It's, it, you know, I don't, I don't actually, I don't think I have it as a designer. I don't think I have a type. Uh, my, my first yeah. game, my first game I ever published was a real time, like Twitch hand speed battle card game. Um, that was really kind of uh-huh. designed for kids. That was the first game I published. The second game I published was Mystic Veil, which is sort of a lighter end spectrum card game. Uh, then I did a trick taking game, mm-hmm. which was custom heroes. Right then, I've got a, a medium heavyweight-ish Euro game uh, in Edge of Darkness. I've got Downfall, which is a 4x game, and then my next one will yeah. quite possibly be Gunslinger, which is a dexterity tactical miniatures game. I'm all over the map. Yeah. I'll, take the, <laughs> I'll take that back, and I don't look like an idiot. <laughs> I'm I'm all over the map. Well, no, I mean to be fair, the two games you and I have spoke the most about are Downfall and Edge of Darkness, which are probably my most too complicated games right but um but i'm all i'm all over the map oh and i i skipped space base right which was a light dice game so you did yeah 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 so you need to i don't know what else you need to do i mean you maybe need to do a light party game. yeah i need to do a party game or a social deduction game or something right <laughs> yeah something like that you could just make one up i don't know um, I, 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 you know, I will leave it up to you. No doubt, I'll talk to you in six months, and you'll have that done. It's like, oh yeah, I went away, and we we did something involving kind of rabbits and hutches and stuff like that, and it was all, it was all fine, you know. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, I haven't um, started working on Squirrel Valley have, yet, which was your idea from last time. I was gonna, say, I was gonna <laughs> ask you. I can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe it. You actually wrote that then. I'm actually in shock. Because I was going to say, well, at least as long as you're not working on Squirrel Valley. <laughs> but then you actually have obviously said you are. I haven't started yet. I haven't started yet. <laughs> well, we need to... Ex- <laughs> I haven't started it yet. Wow. Yeah. 
I just, I'm shocked. I'm shocked, Mr. Clare. I'm shocked. <laughs> if I had a leather glove, I'd be slapping it across your face a bit and saying, this is a jewel, sir. I should see you outside with muskets. Yeah. My my sister my sister has this okay, my sister we'll my sister has this idea for a game using owls that are hunting mice and I was like oh this this kind of sounds like Squirrel Valley maybe uh... oh <laughs> she keeps telling me that her idea is the one I should work on next right well we'll see we'll see what happens because obviously Squirrel Valley might all of a sudden turn up and Kickstarter and then what are you gonna do oh eh? man eh? would have missed my chance. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're just gonna watch it, watch it. Say, yay! Well, at least he made fifty dollars on the Kickstarter. He didn't fund, <laughs> and everybody was laughing at him. <laughs> um, did I ask you for a price for Space Base? Do you have even an idea of how much it's going to be? Um, I think Space Base is. Oh, oh, I don't want to say. I don't think it's going to be. Seventy-eight thirty-seven. I, it's probably going to be like thirty-five, thirty-nine dollars. I think. All right. Okay. okay. Something like that. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. That'll be good. And do you know when it's going to be out on Kickstarter as well? If you got been given oh, a rough space, idea space, a month and stuff like that. As space Space well. is straight to retail. Um, AEG's doing it. Oh. Um, but they're not going to. They're oh, not, okay, they're not cool. kickstarting this one. This one's going straight to retail. It should be available in April, unless there's any delays. That's cool. Is that um, does that kind of take the pressure off then? I mean, you you know, it's it's just going to be going out there in the wild. You just like, well, that's cool. That's going to be there. People are going to be, you know, it's going to be ordered. It's going to be out there. People are going to be able to pick it up. Oh, it's it's much a different type of kind of mark. Yeah, straight to retail is much simpler. Yeah, for sure. Um, Cool, cool, cool. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons and things that make sense to do Kickstarter for a big complicated game like Edge of Darkness or Downfall um, but uh, mm. but for a smaller game like Space Space it's it's kind of nice that it just goes straight to retail there's a little less a little less hassle there cool cool okay well if people have listened along tonight and um, they want to keep an eye on what's going to be happening. Obviously, we will make sure that we post the links for the sh- in the show notes for Edge of Darkness um, so that people will have that for the campaign when that's starting running. But if people want to keep an eye on yourself on the internet, where can they find you? Best place would probably be Twitter. Um, it's just it's just John mm-hmm. D. Clare is my handle. Um, and the next okay. best place would be probably AEG's Twitter or Facebook page. Um, since they're they're doing most of my games these days. Okay, cool. Okay, excellent. Well, what we'll do is, as I say, we'll make sure that we take all the notes and we'll put them in the show notes so that we have got some notes to show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on us and what we're up to and where we're going, just go to Google, put We're Not Wizards in, and you will find us. We're on... Uh, Twitter and Facebook and we're on Stitcher and we're on Acast and we're on Spreaker and we're on YouTube and we're currently trying to get on Spotify but we think they've listened to a couple of episodes and decided that we're maybe far too Scottish for them to be on or something like that. Um, But you can find us on Apple Podcasts and as we say, if you like what you've listened to, please give us a subscription, um, give us a rating or at least give us a 
a review if you really like us. If you are going to give us a review, remember and give us uh, don't give us ten stars because that makes us big headed. Uh, but don't give us zero stars or one stars because that makes us cry. Give us a five because it's in the middle and it's average, and we're a little bit average. Um, but the person's not been average tonight. Is he's the return? He's he's officially a repeat offender. That's what you'd call him. It's the wonderful, the fantastic Mr. John D. Clare. So thank you again very much for coming on, John. Thanks much so much for having it. me and, and listening to me blabber about my games for a second time. <laughs> I'll have you on a third time as soon as you space spaces. Yeah. Um, next game. If guns, when Gunslinger's coming out, you have, you know you've got an open invitation. Just come on. Oh, we'll have gun, a Gunslinger's a fun one. I would love to talk Always. about that game more. It's <laughs> good. Absolute brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, there's only a couple more things left to do. Uh, the first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, John? According to you, not. So I, I, I take it from take it from the <laughs> take it from the uh, expert. Watch it, or the squirrel gets it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Squirrels aren't wizards either. <laughs> no, they're nutcrackers. Um. And the next thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from John D. Clare. Say goodbye, John. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Um, If you see a shadow behind you, make sure you don't turn around because maybe it's not just a lack of light. Maybe you're potentially in the edge of darkness. Uh, So keep an eye on the later in this month. As I say, we'll have some show notes there. So you can keep a track in the campaign because it looks extremely interesting indeed. But until the next time, goodbye.